Welcome to Financial Wellness at Work, the only podcast devoted to sharing the stories of everyday employees who have transformed their financial lives by giving financial coaching a try. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Financial Wellness at Work. And I'm Julie Everett, one of the financial coaches here at Financial Finesse. And today we have Brian Kelly, one of my fellow colleagues, and Jada Haynes. Now, Brian's going to take the driver's seat here in a little bit as a host because we're going to do things a bit differently on this episode. So Jada and I have worked together for a while. And you know, we've spent a lot of time within the previous episodes talking about the success and the progress that employees have made with their finances. And one thing that we haven't touched so much on yet is that sometimes employees show up ready to go, like ready to rock. And it's so much easier to Google, you know, how to make a budget, how to, you know, do a debt snowball. It's so much easier to, to find answers for that online than it is to optimize, to find tax efficiencies, to look for specific angles regarding retirement and other things. So we're meeting with Jada today, and she's definitely one of those employees who showed up ready to go and is excited about her trajectory. Handing this over to Brian now. Brian, why don't you say just a step about yourself, and then we'll pop over to Jada and we'll go from there. Julie, thanks for having me. I'm going to try to do my best today to kind of just facilitate a conversation between Jada and Julie. We do want to get to know Jada, just a little bit about me. I'm one of the coaches here at Financial Finesse too. Before I came to Financial Finesse, I was a financial advisor for 17 years. I had a little practice by myself here in Omaha, Nebraska called Kelly Financial Strategies. And and then I joined Financial Finesse almost eight years ago now. And Julie and I both get to help people without having to sell them anything. So there's just no hidden agenda. As, As most people know that who's listening to this podcast. That's why I'm here. That's why I love doing what I'm doing. Today, though, we, we want to get to know Jada. Like Julie said, Jada is, is somebody who's uh, really eager about finances, really motivated about finances, and she's building her financial knowledge and continuing to build that. So, you know, how does somebody like Jada expand her horizons in the financial world and, and grow, right? You know, so that's what we're going to discuss today. And then we're going to talk to Julie about how her and Jada have worked together at Financial Finesse and how how that's even helped Jada expand that even further, right? Jada, why don't you just real quick, if you don't mind, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself just briefly. Thank you, Brian and Julie for having me. So excited to be here and just share my story and my love for finance with you all. Quick background about myself. I'm originally a Chicago native, born and raised in the Chicago suburbs went to undergrad at Indiana University in the Kelly School of Business, and then started full-time in consulting. And I think my passion for finance, which we'll explore later in this podcast, really surfaced from my upbringing and my mom, I would really say, developed that passion. And throughout my career and throughout my professional journey, I really honed that passion through consulting, I I was greeted with a variety of appealing benefits that I wanted to explore more. And we can talk about that further. But I think what that allowed me to do is to set some goals for myself in terms of going to grad school and doing that debt free. And now I can say that I'm in grad school now at Harvard Business School and really excited to be sharing some of these learnings with you all. Harvard Business School, that's not a bad uh, business school to go to. Yeah, never heard of it. In case you've ever heard of it. (laughs) 
That's pretty good. Tell us a little bit about your mom. You mentioned that your mom was influential in your financial journey. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I'm I'm happy to. I think growing up as Black American in the U.S., I think money and finances is very important as a means of economic mobility. So I think my mom learned that as an early age. She was born and raised on the south side of Chicago to a working class family and really used her financial discipline to build her way out of the south side of Chicago. And she saw how she was able to climb up the social ladders through her discipline and money management. And she was able to go to college debt-free on scholarship. She got her master's degree and finally ended in a very stable career in project management at an engineering telecoms company and basically had her whole career there and really achieved financial success from her lens. And I think because she really valued the tool of financial success. She really passed that on to my sister and I. I'm a twin, so I have a twin sister. And she really ingrained that in us, I would say, from a lens of money management, budgeting, and saving. So very early on in my life, I had a bank account. I had allowances that I would put into my bank account. I had a credit card before any of my friends did. And I remember this experience when I was in Girl Scouts. I was probably in maybe the fourth grade and maybe it was fifth grade and our end of the year celebration was to go to Mall of America. And all the parents were giving their daughters, you know, cash to go to Mall of America. But we wanted to do a lot of spending. So you had to give your daughter a lot of cash. My mom said, here, take my credit card. I think she like co-signed me on it or something and gave me the credit card. And I think that created a lot of financial discipline in me early on to understand how a credit card works and how you make sure you make payments on it. And I think to this day, I've never made a wrong payment on a credit card. And I think that's because she had that trust in me and instilled that discipline in me at a very young age. That's what I will say about my mom and my upbringing with financial literacy. You have mentioned to me before that your parents were always very transparent when it came to money conversations. And that's something... I mean, I see that sometimes even within my extended family, right? Brian, you may too. Of We just don't talk about money. It's not proper. It's not appropriate. But at the same time, like the way that you guys talked about it, it wasn't just that your parents achieved that and then they had it and you had the comforts. They kept talking about it after that. And it's like, I feel like, you know, the hands-on learning that you, you talk about in all aspects of education, that is totally applicable in finance. And I know Liz Davidson in her recent book, Money Strong, talks about your money script. That is what you see, what you learn, what you do, you know, even sometimes before you recognize it and how that influences you going forward. So do you feel like now within your adult life, whether it be romantic relationships or friendships, do you feel like you still share that same financial transparency of being comfortable talking about money? I really love that you brought that up because I believe strongly in money scripts and the combination of just money and psychologically, like how your brain is wired. And those connections are built very early on in your life. You'd be surprised how early the relationship with money and the narrative and the money scripts around money really impact you. So on my side, yes, I did come from a family that had a very transparent environment. We often talked about money decisions. My parents 
didn't hide their financial position. And it was a very positive environment. But I think because they had that positive narrative of working from very little, and my dad was in poverty and inclined that way. However, a lot of people don't grow up with that same narrative. And I think it's really hard to change those money scripts later in life. So I, I think personally, I'm very passionate about this combination of the psychological and like the financial literacy. And I think that would be like the next generation of financial coaching and financial inclusion. When we think about financial coaches is almost like similar to therapists and they're helping you unwind some of this anxiety that you feel around money. It's really tough because some of these narratives are very institutionalized in our society. For example, the whole idea around money being taboo and something that we don't talk about literally came from like the colonial era and like the British empire when like it wasn't polite to like talk about money at the dinner table. And that's like come up in our lives. We can see it today still being an impact and the fact that oftentimes family members don't talk about money to each other. Friends don't talk about money to each other. And I think how do we project more positive money scripts on our children, but also as adults, how do we kind of unwind some of these money scripts? I do want to point out one area where I feel like I've been doing more work to kind of think about my money script and my relationship with, with money is while I did have a very transparent environment, I also had a very like frugal or like budgeting environment. And sometimes I feel like that allows me to miss out on certain things because now in my life, I'm still trying to live below my means and really use my money effectively. And as I've grown in my professional career, I've had to make trade-offs in terms of should I live below my means or am I in a financial position to really benefits from the fruits of my labor? So I think that's one of the money scripts that I'm still working on and I'm still exploring, but I think it's really just a journey. I like that you bring up the psychology because we could, as money coaches or as, as financial coaches, we could say, hey, do this, right? Just do this, right? Just do your budget. Just live within your means. That's easy to say. You don't put the numbers down on a spreadsheet, whatever that is. But understanding why I'm doing this is so much more important. That's really what you're doing. It's going to keep you motivated to do that. So I'm glad you brought that up. So how do you do that, though? Like, what is important to you? Like, you said before we started today that you like to travel. So there's opportunity costs, right? So there's this thing, if I want to travel and I want to save for retirement and I want to build wealth, whatever other way, how do you look at that as far as you know what money means to you and how do you make these decisions? Yeah, I think that's a really good question and something I'm honestly still exploring. What I would say is two things. The first is I think about it in my goals and chapters. And I would say the second thing is around budgeting. So for the first, as it relates to these chapters, I think about my savings goals and my money and spending my money as a way how it transitions throughout time, right? So we talk about short-term goals and we talk about long-term goals. And if I think about more short-term goals is I'm in grad school and we're doing a lot of traveling and trips. So I want to have a lot of savings outlined for traveling. But later when I'm more focused on my career and I have a more concrete schedule, I might not be doing as much traveling and I could start to look at how am I investing in like a house or investing in real estate? So I think by breaking my goals down into more simple, like two to three year timelines has allowed me to prioritize and really make those opportunity costs more clear to me. And then the second, as it relates to budgeting, I think this is something that I often struggled with in terms of I'm someone who's really prepared. And in the, every year I like to make a budget and Excel and I like to revisit that budget, but I never was someone to go line item by line item and look at my actual versus my budget. It was kind of something that was just 
inherent to me from that like financial discipline that I developed early on. What made it hard is to then like make changes to the budget and change that around periodically. Something that I found has worked for me and very recently, actually, when I'm making my budget, I try to think about the fixed and variable costs and think about the magnitude of those costs because I find myself and a lot of my friends are really like, oh, how do we budget? And oh my God, I shouldn't be eating out today. Eating out is more expensive than getting groceries. But if you really look at it, like, I mean, it's going to be a few dollars here and there on a week, but as it generalizes out through the year, I'm not sure how big of an impact that big decision of you eating in versus eating out. But travel, as you mentioned, is one of my largest expenses. And if I'm saving thousands and thousands of dollars per year on travel, a very big impact on the type of trip I go on or the type of transportation I use to get on that trip can have a large impact because that has such a big magnitude in terms of my budget. So if I decide to buy my flights ahead of time, I can save $500 and that would be a big saving. That scale will be larger than if I decide to eat in every meal for the rest of April, let's just say. So I try to think of my fixed and variable costs in terms of the magnitude and really focusing on those larger magnitude and maybe like scrutinizing those a little closer and then just leaving space for daily life and just living in the moment. But that's something that I definitely came to a little more recently, I would say. Let me ask you something, because as a young woman, right, you have influences and you influence people and people influence you. A friendship group can influence each other either positively or negatively. So in your friendship group, like, for instance, my daughter between last year and this year is in nine weddings and each wedding she's projecting (laughs) it's going to cost a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars to go to a bachelor party and a shower and the wedding and buy a dress and all this stuff, too. So, you know, we're talking a lot of money. So there's like a lot of influence in that. She feels like she can't say no. Do you have any comments about that? Like, how are you influencing your friends? How are your friends influencing you? Because it's real, right? When you're talking about managing money and budgeting, you're in this this ecosystem. Yeah, I I think you bring up a very good point in terms of you have friendships, you have family, you have relationships that will continue to exist in a way irrespective of your money decisions, right? So And it's really important that you live up to those expectations. A couple of things that I've done to make it a little more seamless is one, I kind of set priorities internally so that making these decisions on whether I go to this wedding or not is a little easier in the moment. So if I have like this North Star, these priorities ahead of time, it creates a little less anxiety for me to say no to something that is like outside of my budget, or I feel very confident saying yes, because I budgeted for these things. So for example, like I might get invited to a trip, it might be a $1,500 trip. And usually I would say, Oh my God, that's too much. That's outside of my budget. But I created this North Star, this goal, I was going to budget for three $1,500 trips per year, three $750 trips per year and maybe three $500 trips per year. And I would nerdily, I would call them like gold, silver, and bronze. And I would say, okay, if someone asked me to go on a $1,500 trip, I can say yes to that because I've made that decision in my mind. If it's December and I've already done my three $1,500 trips, I feel more confident saying no, because I actually did fulfilled my goal. And I feel strong about that. So I would say that's one thing I do to kind of stay true to my core, even though I have relationships that may require a certain level of commitment. What I would say um, additionally along this line of like influence and friends and money relationships is that oftentimes I struggle 
going back to this whole money is taboo and people don't really talk about it is being transparent about money with my friendships. I mean, we don't really talk about money or like we're all saving for a full 1k, but we don't talk about what the strategy we have is why we have it that way. And that's something I'm trying to encourage more in my relationships. But I think sometimes you you don't feel like you're a financial advisor and you don't feel like you can give someone else advice. You do the advice for yourself and you're taking your own internal risks. But giving that advice to others is a little scary. But I've had very successful moments when I've given a friend just a small piece of advice around like, hey, we graduated college and you definitely need a credit card so you can start building credit. And that's been a, a key difference maker to their success. But I think oftentimes these conversations are a little harder in practice. When you and Julie, you know, you are an optimizer in our terminology, if you will. So when it comes to that, what have your conversations with Julie been? So you and Julie have talked, what, a dozen times or something like that? Okay, that's awesome. Yes. So, so you guys are getting to know each other. You know each other probably a little bit more than than a lot of people, a lot of callers and planners would do. Tell me about like your conversations with Julie. And Julie, maybe you pitch in too and give me a flavor about what that looks like. Yeah, well, I love Julie. And I, like I said, I will always call and ask for Julie. I think it's important to develop a personal relationship with a financial planner. I think it's helpful to hear a familiar voice and that person knows you and they know your background and you don't have to like constantly keep explaining that side. So I think one, it's really helpful for us to get personal. So I tried to like bring her into like my family dynamic or my understanding of money or my personal passions or my goals outside of professional goals. I think that's one thing. And then two, I think our conversations are really about asking the right questions, right? Because Julie knows my situation, but if I don't ask her the right question, she doesn't know where to put her guidance, I would say. So I feel like those have been the two ways that I've been able to develop a strong relationship, someone that I can trust and someone that advice that I value. But but Julie, I would love to hear it from your perspective. I'm sure you're seeing this from a different lens. Yeah. So I looked back and you have been checking in with us since 2019. So you've been with us for quite a while, even longer than I've been here. But I was looking back at our first call because I remember our first call. I don't talk to a whole lot of people from Illinois. I don't know if they end up with all the other planners, but anytime someone says they're from Illinois, I'm like, oh, let's get to business because Illinois has some unique things about it. So our first call was about how to allocate a bonus. And I get it because I am very much like Jada, you know, Brian, before bonuses for us, I'm always like, where is it going to go? How do I separate? Because I need to give myself permission to spend some of this. Like I need to have a plan beforehand or I just feel uneasy, you know, like I'm not worried about blowing it. I'm worried about putting the whole thing in the market and not enjoying it in the moment. And so you'd reached out about allocating a bonus. And at that point in time, you brought up some of your other goals. And I remember one of them was that you wanted to go to grad school. And this was back in 2020. And just knowing what I know about Illinois, you know, it's hard to remember all of the 529 rules. Illinois, we have a really good tax deduction for college savings contributions. And so you were able to get that in there because we talked mid-December. The deadline is December 31st. I remember it was like it was right before the end of the year. So it started out with an efficiency because, yeah, you could have saved that anywhere. But because of that, you were able to get a deduction on your Illinois state taxes. We also joke retirement wise, if you retire back here in Illinois, 
if you're always working in a heavily taxed state, you might as well retire here in Illinois because we don't tax mm-hmm. retirement income. <laughs> That's another one that we're like, if you're going to pay all these taxes here, you know, along the way. But it's things like that. It is trying to, just like with the college savings, you could have saved that anywhere. But you knowing two years before you went, you know, that was where you wanted to go. It allowed us to find a tax efficiency. It allowed us to identify a vehicle to where you can grow your wealth tax-free. And if you don't use it, you can save it for people, you know, create a, a potential plan for generational wealth that you can keep within your family for a long time. So those are the types of things we talk about, Brian. It's always how to make the best of good options, you know, how to pick the best of the good options. Let me interrupt just real quick, if you don't mind. So like you talked earlier, Jada, about, you know, the psychology of money and then the X's and O's of money. So Mm -hmm. what does that look like with Julie? When you guys talk, do you guys discuss the psychology of money and the X's and O's or, or, or do you focus on one more than the other? Yeah, I think the psychology, it's still a a newer type of financial coaching. So I think that's always like the underpin, like understanding like where I'm coming from. But I don't think I use those conversations or I don't think I bring that up regularly. I tend to be a person who's very practical and loves a plan. So we are a lot of times like planning and problem solving and like getting to immediate action that needs to happen more quickly. So I think that's where I spend a lot of my time. And and I will say that something that I can see beneficial for a lot of people that use this service is really about how do you better understand your benefits? I love the fact that Financial Finesse has a strong relationship with my employer and they understand the intricacies and the complexities of the benefits and are able to give me an unbiased opinion and advice on what I should be doing and what I should be thinking about. And I would say that's probably like where I spend a lot of my time in terms of talking to Julie is these are the benefits I have. I'm confused. What does this look like? How does this intertwine with my goals? And how can I use this to really reach some of my aspirational financial goals? One thing would be, we know travel is going to be a part of your future goals. Are there any other big things, big things that you see for yourself, you know, you could do short run, intermediate, or even long term, any big things that you know that you're shooting for that you'd want to care to elaborate on? Yeah, I think the big goal, like we mentioned, is really creating generational wealth. I think my parents have set me up nicely to just have financial literacy. And I want to take that from the next level to like financial freedom and financial wealth. So I think that's a lot of my goals kind of underpin that. So for example, like a long-term goal is to retire early, hopefully before the age of 50. Let's see if I can do it. A shorter term goal would be to start investing in real estate. Quickly after I graduate grad school, I want to buy a house and stop renting and do that. And then in, in between then, I hope to travel the world. So we'll see what happens. One thing that we always like to ask, So if you didn't have financial finesse, when it came to bouncing ideas and how to leverage your employer benefits to the maximum amount, if you didn't have financial finesse, where would you have gone for that? That's an interesting question. And I think you kind of alluded to it in the beginning of our conversation. It's it's the Googling, it's the online searches, it's the talking with colleagues. But as I mentioned, like the culture of money is so taboo. So even if I'm in a class or like I'm starting with a group of my start class and we're all talking about our 401k benefits, 
we don't feel super good about having this conversation one or two about giving each other advice. So we kind of just keep it on the down low. We give a really short answer and say, Hey, I did X thing. And it's really not up for discussion. So I think a combination of researching online and a combination of talking to peers who are kind of less likely to have the conversation is where I would have probably started. And obviously we can tell that that's probably not the best way to make pretty informed decisions about your financial future. And I I think too, importantly for specifically new hires and new employees who are starting with these types of benefits is you have the opportunity to set a foundation to that can really pay dividends for the rest of your life. So I think a lot of the times we were talking and it's like, if I invested another 1% into my retirement plan, that could be a large sum of money down the road when I'm looking to retire. So I think it's really important to be in touch with a financial planner earlier in the career and have that available and employers having that available for new hires. Because I feel like even just in a two-year career at a company, if you started early, that could have very big impacts in terms of where you end up just in a two-year period. Yeah, I think there's a couple things too. And Jada, let me ask you if, if you would agree with this, that, you know, the two words that I would think, and if you're looking for somebody that you're going to bounce ideas on, or you actually take guidance from, you know, trust and competence, right? So there's a lot of people out that are giving, you know, just financial advice and guidance that are untrustworthy and not all that smart, really, when it comes down to it, you know, so you want to find somebody that that knows what they're talking about. And Julie, you've been in the industry for over 15 years. So, you know, you've been doing this for a long time. And then there's that trust, right? There's that relationship. And you know that Julie's not going to sell you anything. So it's it's all about Jada when we're talking. Would you agree with that? I mean, I guess that's kind of hard to... Yeah. I, and I really love that trust and competence. And I think with that trust, I was able to really build that with Julie primarily because she has the optionality to talk about a breadth of finances. Like we can talk about taxes, we can talk about employer benefits, we can talk about these things. And because we can talk about all those things, I found that it's allowed me to have a more holistic financial plan and a financial experience. So I love this conversation that we've had. I think that we could probably stay on here for another 30 minutes or even a few more of these just because Jada has such a good perspective and I love how she approaches her finances. But I do want to remind our listeners here that when it comes to financial wellness and it comes to financial coaching, it is applicable to all of your employee base, Uh, not just those employees who are not where they want to be and who are maybe uncomfortable, but also to those who already are comfortable and they have big goals and maybe a little bit of guidance from a financial professional could get them there even quicker. So I definitely want to thank Jada for coming today. I love that Brian was back and I'm sure he'll be back again. So stay tuned for the next episode and have a good one, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellness at Work podcast from Financial Finesse. Join us next time for more stories, inspiration, and tips on transforming your financial life and future.